Do you feel like it's possible to find joy and positive change within veterinary medicine? Are you looking for a community that's striving for fulfillment rather than perfection? Hey there, I'm Dr. Stacy Cordovano. I want veterinarians to learn to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the lives that we've created. On this podcast, I will speak with outside-of-the-box thinkers to hear new ideas on ways to improve our day-to-day lives. Welcome to The Whole Veterinarian. everybody. I'm so excited to introduce my guest today. Dr. Kate Boatwright is a small animal general practice and emergency veterinarian, speaker, and author who lives in Western Pennsylvania. She enjoys discussing mentorship, the unique challenges facing recent graduates, wellness, and the spectrum of care. In March 2023, she published the Veterinary Mentorship Manual, a resource for practices to help guide them in developing solid mentorship programs to support new graduates. In her remaining time, she stays busy chasing her toddler, running, reading, and watching movies with her husband and cats. I'm excited to share this episode because I think we can all be better at mentorship and we really owe it to any associates that we're bringing onto our team to do so. So I hope this episode is helpful for you and make sure to check the show notes because I'll have all of her links to everything we talk about and a special code for a discount on her manual. Talk to you all soon. I hope you enjoy. Platinum Performance is proud to support the whole veterinarian. For nearly 30 years, we've stood beside veterinarians with advanced nutrition for the health of your patients and practice. At Platinum Performance, we know the power of nutrition starts within. Hey, Kate, thanks for being here with me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. So, I gave a little intro already so people know who you are, but I'm curious if you could talk to us about how this manual came about and how you've gotten interested in mentorship kind of throughout your career and how you've landed here now. Yeah. So I graduated in 2013 and I feel like that was when the whole mentorship versus internship conversation was really, really at the forefront um, and and really ramping up kind of all through vet school. And I actually started vet school intending to be a board-certified surgeon. So I was full bore going the internship residency route until about halfway through second year when I hit major school burnout and was Mm -hmm. like, I don't want to do this for (laughs) for another four years. So I decided at that point to pivot and uh, focus on general practice. I was super, super fortunate to find a fabulous practice right out of school in central Pennsylvania. Uh, And I had multiple wonderful veterinary mentors. The veterinary technician team was super supportive. And I didn't realize at the time how lucky I was. (laughs) I ended up leaving that practice after a year. I would have stayed there forever, I think. But unfortunately, my husband and I hadn't been able to find jobs together. Mm -hmm. So we had been living three hours apart the whole first year out of school. Yeah, tough. (laughs) Yeah. So at the end of the year, I, I decided to leave that practice to move closer to him. And it was the the second clinic that I ended up at 
I didn't realize how much mentorship I still needed until I didn't have it. Mm-hmm. And not having that supportive environment definitely took a hit to my confidence, you know, my general communication skills. And by the time I left that practice about 18 months later, I was, you know, really seeking out that mentorship piece again. And I, I, that's when I ended up in ER work, again, with some fabulous mentors. And that was the clinic where I first moved into the mentor role. Uh, about five years out of school, I had done a lot of mentorship of pre-vet students and vet students. But about five years out, we hired a new grad at that practice. And I took over the, the primary role of mentor. And just the amount of joy I found in that was amazing. And it gave a whole new purpose to my career. And so since then, I've been wanting to try to support other people. I love working with vet students. I love getting to know them, but I'm only one person. I can only, (laughs) I can only mentor so many people myself. And, you know, there's some great programs out there to provide support to our new grads, But what I saw was missing was providing support to the mentors. Mm -hmm. And so that's where this manual came from, is to try to provide practices with a blueprint and mentors with some support of how do we set up a mentorship program? How do we support these new grads in small animal practice to really make things a little smoother? Yeah. No, I think it's great. And I think that's so helpful to attack it from that side, because I don't think there's like any veterinarian that you would ask that's like, no, I don't want a mentor or I don't think mentorship's important. But you do often hear, and I mean, I can admit this for myself, like at times you're too busy to do that well or even know where to start. So I think that's awesome that this resource is now out for people. I'm curious before I ask my next question, when you moved into that ER job, did you specifically look for a place that was going to mentor you? Because even just the transition from GP to ER, I can imagine is a big jump. Yeah. So it was a clinic that had, they had both GP and ER in the same building. And mm-hmm. and I took the job as, you know, a mix of both okay. GP and ER. So I, and I was very upfront of like, I'm interested in ER, but I'm going to need some help. I was terrified of having a bloat come in when I was working by myself (laughs) because we were an hour from one of the local specialty hospitals. And I'm like, I can't, like, I've never done this before. And I actually, they had a prophylactic gastropexy shortly after I started that I was able to like scrub in on and and see how that was done. And then like a week later, a bloat came in. Uh, It was on day shift, which was perfect because there were multiple doctors on. I wasn't actually the surgeon on that day, but the doctor who was in surgery did not like ER surgery. And so one of the experienced ER doctors was originally going to do it. And I said, hey, could I take the lead on this and do it? And 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 she's like, yeah, absolutely. You're never going to learn if you don't do it. I think I got as far as making my incision before I was like, hey, I need some help. Um, but, <laughs> but they were like well aware that that was important to you and you had that yeah, conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So they knew, yeah, they knew from the beginning that I was going to need that, you know, that I wanted that support and that was important. And um, so that was part of why I, I picked that practice. And it was a nine doctor practice. So there mm. was plenty of bodies to go around for support. And, you know, I've certainly found, you know, some people, you know, really love to mentor and are really good at it. And other people are like, yeah, I'll answer your question if you have it. Mm -hmm. So you kind of learn, especially when you're in a multi-doctor practice, like who the go-to people are. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So I want to dig into some of the learning that you share in the 
manual. So I'm curious, I know that you're very active on Instagram. That's how we know each other actually. And I'm curious if you get a sense from either what you're posting or what you're speaking to readers or or followers about what is like a big ticket item for them to learn about. Yeah. So I recently did a series of posts on like mentorship mistakes. And Mm -hmm. in my mind, the biggest mistake was not identifying a mentor before you say, hey, we're willing to mentor. But when I put it out to the larger Instagram audience, the majority of people felt that it was actually not setting expectations between the mentor and the mentee and the clinic management. And that all comes down to to what I call the, the mentorship agreement. And so I think that that's a really big piece that one of the sections of the manual walks through is what needs to go into this agreement. What do we need to map out ahead of time so that we're all on the same page? Got it. And so where does this agreement come into place as as far as like when you're bringing someone on? Is this like in a contract? Is this specific for the one person you're hiring at that moment? Is it more general? Say a little bit more about. Yeah. So I think it can come as a few different ways. I definitely like the idea of having it in the contract, but there's a lot that goes in to what I think of as being involved in the mentorship agreement. So I think it's very reasonable to put a mentorship clause in your contract that says, you know, formal mentorship will be provided for you know, six months or 12 months, whatever that length mm, is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and a, a more detailed agreement will be designed. Um, and, and certainly okay. I am not a lawyer. So I always say if you're, if you're putting <laughs> yeah. it in the contract, definitely, you know, talk to someone who has those credentials. But, you know, I've seen some people that put a more detailed agreement in the contract and then I've seen others who just, you know, say, yeah, you're going to get mentorship and, you know, maybe put a timeline on it. And so, but then you can kind of create this second document that's mm-hmm. that's the agreement. And, okay. you know, I think for practices who have already hired a new grad or her, who are in that process, I think you can work with them um, and have the mentee and mentor and the clinic management all sit down together and, and make this agreement. Or if you're a practice who says, hey, we'd really like to target a new grad and we want to set ourselves apart, I think having an idea of what an agreement would look like so that when that new grad comes to you and says, what does mentorship look like in your clinic, you can answer that question. So I think you know it, it can be very flexible how you lay it out and when you do it. Got it. Okay. So let's talk about maybe that clinic that is trying to set themselves apart. What is a agreement look like to you or a good one? (laughs) Yeah. So I I mean, I think the, you know, kind of a few different components to it. So one is the schedule. So how long is this formal mentorship relationship going to last? I would say a minimum of six months, ideally at least 12 for that kind of formal period. Obviously, mentorship doesn't end when you magically hit the one year mark. You know, I'm 10 years out and like I'm doing a new surgical procedure next week. Like I still, you know, I still need support. Mm -hmm. But, you know, having a defined time and then, you know, what is kind of the big picture of the schedule? Are you going to start with like a a co-working shadowing type period where the mentee and mentor are going to be on the same schedule, seeing the same appointments together and then moving into you know, preventative care only, and then adding in a little bit of sick appointments, you know, kind of gradually easing them in, are you going to have extended appointments? I think it's really important, especially for new grads, efficiency isn't there yet, especially coming from 
you know, a tertiary care facility and the way those appointments move that are hours long to a general practice that's seeing 15 or 20 minute appointments, you need some time to get there. So I definitely think that's a really important thing is giving some more time. I think another really important thing to think about is when is the earliest that you expect the mentee to work by themselves as, you know, if it's a clinic where you have some shifts where there's only one doctor on as a new grad, you know, you don't want to be left alone. Mm -hmm. for a while. And so I think setting that in writing to, you know, obviously we know things change, but having those expectations. So that's kind of step one. Mm -hmm. Do you have thoughts or is this, can you generalize enough to say what you would recommend as a time period before a new grad is alone at a clinic? Yeah. So uh, there's actually, there's a whole page in the manual about that. (laughs) I really think it should be close to the end of that formal mentorship period. Mm. And some of it depends on the schedule too. And, And I think like the clinic where I started, we actually had two locations. And so We had a satellite location that was about 20 minutes from the main clinic and only one doctor worked there, but the main clinic, everybody else was over there. So I did start working alone probably a couple months out of school at that satellite clinic, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I I didn't feel alone because I had that lifeline of being able to call over to the main clinic and say, hey, Mm -hmm. this is what's going on. You know, what do you recommend? Or, hey, I've got a really sick patient. You know, we were didn't have as many much equipment at the satellite. So it was, okay, I'm going to send them over to you guys at the main clinic. So it does depend a little bit on how your clinic's set up, but I also think it depends on just the confidence of the mentee. I think some mm-hmm. mentees are are raring to go and are feel okay working by themselves pretty quickly and, and others do need longer. Okay. So that makes me think we need to talk about communication. But first, <laughs> I want to ask if then like phone a friend counts as like not being... So coming from an equine perspective, Mm -hmm. right? We're often tossed out and we don't can't take them in the back. And I think that is a hurdle. So is phone a friend like enough? Because that's what we rely on a lot. And I remember as an... I, I did an internship, but even in my internship, the first time I went to see an emergency, I was required to call for the first several months. And it was enough for me. Mm -hmm. It was enough to just phone a friend. So does that sort of, if someone's, you know, maybe a solo practitioner in a small animal clinic, does that count as being available? I think it really is up to the mentee. I think for some people, yeah, that's enough. If if I know that I can get a hold of you and you're there when I need you, I think that's okay. I Mm -hmm. think there's other people who you know, are like, uh-uh, I want the body in the clinic. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I do think there's some variation in in the individual mentee. But, you know, the one thing to, to consider when you are looking at your schedule and saying, okay, you know, maybe it is three months in that the mentee is going to have a shift by themselves. You know, we only have one doctor here on Saturdays or whatever mm-hmm. it is, is having that plan of saying, what is the support system that you mm-hmm. have in place? Mm-hmm. And not only having an experienced vet available by phone, but having your experienced support staff schedule, because I relied a lot 
and still do on mm-hmm. my technical staff. Um, but especially as a new grad to be able to say, hey, how would, you know, how would Dr. Crombie handle this appointment? Mm-hmm. Or, you know, have you seen anything like this before? Can you, you know, can you point me in the right direction? You know, it can be super, super valuable. So I think if you've got a really experienced support staff, you may be able to get that mentee working alone a little faster because they've got that support system built in. Yeah, that's interesting. I was in a group discussion about how oftentimes equine practice owner or like advanced practitioner often gets the, you know, quote unquote, best tech or like the one that's been there the longest when in reality, that tech should be out with the newest Mm -hmm. practitioner helping them with efficiency and confidence and stuff. Yeah, totally agree. Okay. So both of those things kind of still come back to this idea of communication and really working one-on-one. So if you sort of developed a general plan and have at least something to offer people who are coming to interview. Are there some good questions or how do you structure this communication between management and the new grad to get a little bit more specific on what they need? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one of the things you, I mean, one of the things you can do is kind of do more of an, almost an objective skills evaluation Mm. where Mm -hmm. like I have a, here's a two page list of different communication situations, client communication, staff communication, different medical skills, you know, just rate your comfort with them. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you have someone who, you know, and of course, as a new grad, you're going to not be super comfortable with a lot of things because you haven't seen it. Or, you know, you saw it once in vet school second year. (laughs) But, you know, kind of seeing where they feel they are so that you can kind of meet them there. I, as a new grad, one of the things that I prioritized my senior year was getting a lot of surgical experience, knowing that I wanted to go into general practice. So I took high volume spay neuter rotations and then continued at the local shelter once a month just to keep those skills up. So yeah. when I graduated, I felt really comfortable with spay and neuter, which mm-hmm. I knew at the, you know, especially at that time was not super common. No, not common. And, yeah. you know, so I was able to kind of go into the clinic and say, like, hey, like, yeah, I want you in there, you know, maybe the first day or two I do surgery just to make sure you think my skills are are mm-hmm. okay for client animals. But, you know, if you th- if you're watching me and you think everything's good, I'm fine being in surgery as long as you're in the building. Mm-hmm. So I think just asking, you know, what experiences have you had and what do you want to learn? Like I've never particularly loved ophthalmology. <laughs> I've had a love-hate relationship with dentistry. And so those were things where I was like, well, you know, I, I'm definitely not as confident in those. Mm-hmm. And being able to say that and talk to the mentee is really important. And then is there a recommended time frame or frequency to be revisiting those skills and talking with between the mentor mentee relationship about that? Yeah. So I think it's really important when the other part of setting the schedule is setting some set feedback times and time for case review that is is really protected in the clinic schedule, whether that's mm-hmm. first thing in the morning or over lunch or at the end of the day, wherever it is that you think is it's really truly going to happen and trying to build that into the schedule for both the mentee and mentor mm-hmm. so that, you know, you can talk about cases, but then you can also have some, you know, targeted feedback of, okay, where are we? How are we progressing? you know, you're doing really great. You're, you know, you're on 40 minute appointments right now. We're normally on 20. We think we can start, you know, shortening your appointments because you're getting more efficient. So I think that, you know, I think that that's another part of the agreement is just setting up how often are we going to reevaluate. 
And I think one of the biggest things with the schedule is you can lay out a schedule before somebody starts and say, okay, you're going to have a month of just preventative care. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to add on some sick appointments. But once they get into it, you might find, hey, they're more comfortable with this than we thought they were going to be. We can add something sooner or, hey, this is harder than we thought. Mm -hmm. I need a little more time before I feel comfortable adding more in. And so, you know, I think we can set everything out on paper, but we have to have some flexibility. Yeah. Um, And that's where the the feedback and the open conversations come in. Yeah. Great. Is there anything that is like really missing from what's needed in an agreement for expectations before I change direction slightly? Yeah. I mean, I think the last thing is, is like you said, just the expectations. I think it's good to have kind of a list of who's responsible for what, you know, what's on the mentee, what's on the mentor, what's the management team's schedule and, and responsibilities just to make sure that things, you know, move along how they are expected to. Got it. Okay. So my next question is as a practice owner, and I imagine this is something you hear a lot, like, again, No one's going to say that this is not valuable and necessary, but I'm curious if you hear pushback on the financial aspect of having a mentorship agreement that may be 12 months long and how do people like wrap their heads around that idea? Yeah. So, I mean, definitely mentorship is an investment. No new grad is going to come out bringing in the same amount of money to your practice as your experienced vet who's even been there, you know, one or two years. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, again, I don't think anyone would argue with that point. And there is some investment in the mentor, their time, you know, they're mm-hmm. going to potentially be seeing a few less cases as they try sure. to support the mentee. So I haven't completely figured out all the finances mm-hmm. of it yet. But I think for me, the biggest point is that if you look at the data of why new grads leave, mm-hmm. one of the top reasons across multiple studies is lack of mentorship. Mm-hmm. So if you hire this person and you're going to spend the time in you know, you're going to hire them and you know they're not going to be super profitable at the beginning. But if you want them to stay for two, three years and try to become a profitable vet, you've got to invest that mentorship time. Got it. Because if you're not doing anyone a favor, if you bring on new grad, either they get burned out because they're asked to do too much or they leave because they don't have that support in a year you know, it's at least half of the annual salary to replace that position. Mm-hmm. Right. Not to mention that huge gap in your schedule and, and productivity while you're looking. So for me, it is an investment, but it's it's one that's worthwhile in terms of trying to keep young vets in your practice. Yeah. Which the replacement costs, like you said, are much more expensive than, yeah, just taking a little bit of a hit maybe in your own productivity or things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, great. Well, I know that there's so much more information in the manual. Thank you for sharing some of it today. Where can people find it? Yeah. So it is currently, if you go to my website, which is www.writetheboat.com, there is a link to purchase it there. I am working on building out a whole mentorship section. Oh, cool. That is still in process, but there is a link to buy uh, the manual through there as well as through my social media. There are links there. And, and I will say for, you know, for anyone who's hearing about the manual, on the podcast, if you use code podcast25, I'll give you 25% off. Awesome. Great. I'll make sure to share that in the show notes. And then as far as social media goes, where can people find to connect with you there? 
Yep. So I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. For LinkedIn and Facebook, it's just Kate Boatwright VMD. And Instagram is Write the Boat. Perfect. Great. And I'll put all those links in as well. Thank you so much for your time. Last question that I ask everyone, what is one small thing that has brought you joy this past week? Ooh, the past week. I mean, you can, you can accept <laughs> I mean, I obviously find joy in mentorship. We've hired a, a vet who's actually was an equine practitioner and has moved into the small animal. Oh, painful. Sorry. It <laughs> hurt my heart. <laughs> but I've, I've really enjoyed. She's been with us for uh, about six months now. Um, and it. so it's it's been a lot of fun mentoring her. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot I've learned from her. I bet. It's like yeah. I had a, this crazy paw pad laceration a while back and I was trying to figure out what suture pattern to use. And she's like, I, she was like, what about the far, near, near, far? And, and I'm like, I remember learning that in vet school, but I haven't done that in forever. And she showed me how to do it. It worked great. Yeah, yeah. We use mattress sutures a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Great example of reverse mentorship yeah. as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad if she had to leave equine, she found a soft place to land. So that's good um, for everybody's mental health. Well, perfect. Thank you so much for your time. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Whole Veterinarian Podcast. I so appreciate the time that you spend with me. To connect, please find me on Instagram at The Whole Veterinarian or check out the website at thewholeveterinarian.com and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter as well. Thanks again and I'll talk to you soon.